I was able to intercept Carol Shea from Olive Tree Insights on the floor right after her presentation at MRMW. It was a really interesting conversation. I hope that you listen to the entire thing through the end. We talk about uh, possible KPIs for market research. Additionally, the framework for managing the next generation of researchers, as well as dealing with really big business problems and helping your customers navigate through those things while leveraging research in an effective way. Hope you enjoy it. My guest today is Carol Shea with Olive Tree Insights. You presented yesterday here at MRMW. Yes. What did you you talk about? You know, my passion is market research, (laughs) the industry and the people in the industry. I've been in it for so many years. And so now I'm at a point in my career where I I guess it, all through my career, I've always loved the big, hairy challenges. Mm. So like things like, how do you get out of a category or should you get out of a category? Or, you know, what's our ne- what's the next big thing? So I started really dialoguing with corporate people and recognized that they were having challenges internally in their organization. And, you know, the same research person I may work for one year reports to the CMO, the next year works reports to director of strategy, their roles are shifting, how they integrate into the organization is, is changing. So the speech yesterday was really focused on providing some of the ideas that I've heard from corporate researchers on how can they pivot their own role from being a support system for the business to being a growth engine for the business. And that it's what we're, you know, like today, this morning, I've heard a number of topics around activate research and how we're supposed to be embedded in the business but there's this real disconnect so that's what my passion is right now it's this a, a different kind of a big hairy problem i mean it's a big problem i think that proving an roi on research and like you said the zero-based budgeting or you said they said yes. yesterday that yes. really came up a lot i mean you really got to be cognizant of what is the actual outcome or return on a monetary basis to the organization that word scares people i don't know have you talked to people much about a little, the ROI? Not a, lot. not a lot. I'm hoping maybe to switch that to KPI. So l- let okay. me give you an example, okay? Because I know I've worked with some clients that have done a brilliant job with ROI, but I also know that there's a lot of situations where it's just a frustrating conversation. But one of the more interesting KPIs I saw that about connecting to the business is how many times in a business plan is the voice of the customer included? Mm. So that to me is a really powerful KPI or or a, a, something that shows how the business is utilizing the research that we're providing. So I think there's some probably some easier steps that we're not really thinking about. When we think about ROI, we get all caught up into the financial yeah. aspects. Yeah. Those are good, but we can't always do that. So not only business plan, but even think about how often a business partner recommends another business partner to to replicate or do a similar study. Those are all really powerful KPIs for integrating in the business. I love that. That's a really useful way of thinking about it. A little less scary. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it also means engagement. Mm -hmm. And one of the other takeaways I have from every conference I go to is how empowered we are when we engage with our consumers. But that turning that around and engaging with our clients can be difficult and it's something that you know i teach at the mba level occasionally when i have some time and so the market research classes 
and I'll see really junior data analysts and researchers. They are so into the methodology, they don't really know how to talk to the business. Yeah. So that piece about getting building comfort among our junior people more quickly and strongly, I think is a big opportunity for us in the in the business. I heard some play some of the speakers yesterday talk about how they've started to segment out their departments. So like here, these are the people that are going to be strategic. Here's our data analysts. Here's our people that are going to be, you know, involved in secondary. To not have everybody to some degree embedded in understanding the business, even at that right at a college level, is a real flaw. And to think they don't have the ability to be strategic, I think is is a um, not giving them credit where credit's due. I totally agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. You know, there's a as the good book says, <laughs> uh, don't let anyone despise your youth. Yes. I think there's this like this framework that we feel like you can't you can't participate unless you've been at this for 20 years. I think the um, you know, and there's also humility that has to be on both sides of the table. And you look at where a lot of innovation stems from. This is a trend you're seeing in the Silicon Valley right now where you'll have a you know innovation head. So like somebody that's in their 20s who's maybe even early 20s, uh -huh. that's like highly passionate and excited. And then they get, quote unquote, married to, you know, somebody that's old like me, um, it, but also driven, right? That, you know, combined, they have this like wealth of wisdom, can recognize the patterns, but then also have a clear framework. You know, it was um, Jobs that said oh, death is the ultimate yes. innovator, yes. right? And that's really an important point because that creates a path forward for what, you know, for the next generation. Tell me more about the comment that you made about when you work with younger people in this field, yeah. you're working with younger people. Tell me how you role model your behaviors and your thinking so that they can pick up on that. So there's two, I have two tactics. And actually it's funny you say that because I, all my, my staff are right now between the ripe old ages of 22 and 24. Okay. So you're talking about <laughs> yeah. not highly seasoned people, yeah. but they care a lot and they're really smart. So, and they have, you know, they've been in the digital environment their whole life, their whole like awake lives. So you got to understand that context. So it's not like they're brand new. They've been doing Instagram as long as I've been doing Instagram, for example. So the first thing that you have to apply at a, at a, and it's easy for me because I am a small company, but if I was a big company, it would apply as well. Maybe not GE big, but you know, a hundred million dollar company, I think you'd still be fine. And that is mistakes are okay because the rest of the world isn't paying as much attention to you as you think. So like, I mean, really how many people read the press release? Not very many. And so it's okay if not at scale, but if occasionally mistakes happen, and, and that mean, and so that's the first piece that has to exist like in your psyche. You have to be okay with there being some just dumb stuff that comes out. <laughs> that's that's good, happen. right. But again, not, re not repeating it, but being okay with the mistakes. And then the other part of it then is autonomy. So slash framework. So you have to have this tension between, I call it context, where uh, instead of it being like a... 20 point checklist of check, 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 check. Because as soon as that happens, you start checking your brain and relying on the system. And there's always outliers. So what you need to do is really understand what the context is. And that's where I operate off of a template. So, and what I mean by that is, which is different than a checklist. So 
I will tell, like a press release is a great example. I will give a new one of my employees, Chuyi, I'll say, okay, I want you to write a press release. And she's like, great, I want to write a press release. I've done two my whole career, right? So I will say, this is a really good press release. Model your press release off of this, pretend it's boilerplate, right? And then she starts learning by execution. And what I'm finding is that it really, it sucks for me for like three months because it's a lot more, there's a lot more kind of like issues and mistakes that are getting to me that you wouldn't have with somebody who was in their thirties. But like after about 12 months, you have somebody that's basically grown five years in their career because they are modeling their stuff off of best in class, right? Best in the industry. And we look outside of the industry in, in many cases for that kind of to model. So, you know, you've got to be willing to put in the work with that staff. But if you are willing to put in the hard work, then the rewards are just like, I mean, it's hard for me to quantify a number, but it's just massive, right? Because they're conforming to your culture. They're conforming to the, the global expertise of, you know, what is perfection, right? And, and they're also conforming to adding, in my case, everything's predicated on value. So I'm, I will never do anything unless there's more value given on the other side of the table, right? So I'm not a taker, I'm a giver. Uh, and that's just like part of the thesis. And so they're kind of modeling that sort of, that sort of behavior. So what I take from you are this, is this, uh, give them a, a success framework mm -hmm. and let them experiment. And let them right? experiment, and make because, mistakes. Because do good, do good work, do bad work, learn from the mistakes. Totally. So that, that framework and experimentation is kind of like what I've been thinking about a lot too. Totally. And what happens in a corporate environment. So like I, in the research execution work, we have a lot of really good frameworks, right? I can borrow as a qualitative researcher, I can borrow conjoint techniques throw out a whole bunch of dimes to people and like, you know, borrow from those quantitative techniques, take that and use it in a qualitative setting. When it comes to engaging with my business partners, the one framework that we have as an industry has always been the market research brief. And it's the, it's the one concept that I have thoughts around how can we optimize that process so that it is a usable framework for doing the right work but it's not as simplistic as a checklist so you check your brain out. It allows people to experiment and learn. It actually educates your business partners through the process. So how do we build a framework around that front end to get smarter on the back end? And that's what we've been playing with for the last year. We've got two clients using a software collaborative tool that is meant to bring up your junior staff to more your senior staff level so that it's not always about, there is not a perfect template necessarily, like you talk about a PR, perfect PR re release, but there is some thinking yeah, so that a lot and of questions, facts. right? I mean, there is. And, and here's the other interesting thing that we've found out over the last year playing this out. There's only so many business objectives. So one of the questions we ask around uh, design when we talk about like what's your motivation why are you doing this why are you doing this research why are you asking me for research you want four focus groups and they say well you know we're gonna enter this new concept we think okay we got it I know what you want and the truth of the matter is we may not they may already have a hypothesis in their head that I already know this is a, this is a slam dunk and 
um, my Kroger team is already asking for this project. We're moving forward with it. So what winds up happening is I'm all excited because you want to launch this. You want to hear consumer feedback. We get it. Comes back and it says, yeah, they don't really like this. They want chocolate macchiato flavor. They don't want chocolate peanut butter. And then my business partner says, thank you. That's awesome. And goes off and does what he wants to do in the first place. So the way we connect up front, I think has a lot of power and meaning and uh, it's, but it's also identifying a process and a tool that teams can use collaboratively, again, to not check out, but to, because I've got a template. There's only so many business objectives. I'm trying to grow. I'm trying to save money. I mean, you know, there's only so much to kind of get deeper into that, to really understand the root drivers of research, where it's going to play. And then secondly, we're more on that front end. We start really thinking about where should our companies go? So this is the other part of the presentation. We're stuck in the next six months. So I can't tell you how many projects I get when the, you really talk about root causes. It's like, well, we're stuck on this, we're stuck on that. It's like, okay, that's great. You need, we need to spend time fixing that. What's going to happen in two years? What's going to happen in five years? Where are we going to be? And as researchers, we can help with that. We're not being asked to, so we need to step up to the plate and say, we're going to help you. We're going to start doing scenario planning. We're going to help you start forecasting 10, 15 years out and get people thinking and excited about the future. That's, that's up to us, and uh, so far I don't see a lot of that. Well, and I think part of the reason is there's this natural evolution of data. As soon as you say data has impact, then I've been sort of playing with this concept that actual market research is the most important asset for an organization because it's the rudder of action. And so it's a small little thing, right? That's maybe consists of 10% of a, of a corporate budget as it relates to a product at a product level, but it has significant impact. When you move data out of a vacuum context, which was nineties and two thousands, right? was all about just reports. It was dashboards. Physical and it was dashboards, dashboards right? right? All? And then you move it to more agile, in time, uh, moving the data or moving the insights, the, the point of inception of the insight from a sage on the hill to somebody in the field, in the battle, right? It's a really important difference because it's empowerment at, in time. Now, all of a sudden, you're talking about like moving out of isolation and up the up the value chain. So uh, I had this wonderful interview and I'll include it into the show notes, by the way, people. So I do apologize. And she was talking about it being the most this being the most exciting point. This is a, almost a 30 year veteran, the most exciting point in her career by a mile, because for the I mean, we're literally getting red carpet to the boardroom we are yes. which i mean i've heard bitching and moaning my whole career about they never pay attention yes you right. know what i mean and now mm -hmm. it's like hey listen market research is really important and that's why i'm very thankful for what qualtrics did in their the acquisition of sap or sap's acquisition of qualtrics you know a 400 million dollar company which is big on an eight billion dollar valuation insane 20x right and because all of a sudden the whole world said woke up that day literally that day and they said this is really important this space is really important. And I think we're at the beginning of the J curve. But what happens is now market research has to take its voice, the action part, and it has to move upstream, and, right? And it has to move downstream in context of where the value is. So it's a much more of a distributed model versus a consolidated it is. model. It is. And it's not going back to a consolidated no. model, which is good. I mean, it shouldn't go back to that. On the other hand, what's happening is leadership is... I mean, you hear it like it's you know inundated with data. And it's the truth. And to some degree... 
it's it's the fault of of all of us as an industry dashboards are wonderful tools but they're individual data points and if there's not someone or not a team organizing like what does this all mean for us on a regular basis and on a consistent basis then what you wind up doing is you wind up repeating the same studies over and over and you know this division needs to do that so this moving up the stream i think is really important and and helping leadership understand that so Walmart had, I showed a video for Walmart yesterday, and it was, they call themselves, the team calls themselves the headlights of the organization, which I love. Oh, that's so clever. Isn't that, isn't that really like, you know, you're looking out in the future, but I think there's a missing piece there. And it's, again, we're still in a informative role. And you just hit on this around actionability and that really we're an asset so perhaps we should be more like we're the competitive you're, we're your competitive intelligence mm -hmm. you know i'm not competitive advantage, advantage. sorry I understood. that's what i meant competitive advantage well, you know we're your competitive advantage right but it's that you can count on this this many dollars from us again back to the roi but be, you're going to grow because of this leaders want insights driven growth Whereas ten years ago it was operational and financial, right? That's right. So absolutely. I mean that's that's the that's a trick, but it is getting getting that upstream story versus playing at the service provider data waitress I like to call it. Oh, level. that's a great way. I love that term too. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You see, and I like how you're framing the historical journey of data, and I think we're entering into a stage now where Wall Street is going to believe that it takes a while to build successful brands as opposed to measure them on a daily basis, which you gets think? your dashboard. I don't know. So tell me what, what makes you think that? Because that's very provocative to me. Well, I'll tell you why. If you look at the actual cost of developing a, a software platform, it's very material, right? And everybody's still, they see, this is going to get a little, a little in the weeds, so I apologize about the accounting part of it. But you know, Wall Street, they strip out the cost basis, the R&D side of things when they're looking at the, because they're just looking at what's gro called gross margin. So what's the profit on that dollar of software, which is insanely profitable. But, you know, it's this massive machine that has to be assembled on the back end in the same way that a manufacturer creates a big machine, right? You have this CapEx expense, right? And then it generates, it generates revenue. Well, I think what needs to start happening is and this is your point about us moving from a uh, cost basis to an asset basis. I think what has to happen is market research as a, a data source, data needs to become, needs to be moved into the CapEx asset class. And the implication there is all of a sudden it isn't treated as a negative on the gross margin for a project. It's considered to be part of the, you know, the value that is the machine that is driving good decisions. I think this is an interesting point because you haven't, just like basic accounting isn't like kind of treating it like that right now. But I really think as companies start becoming overweight or at least maybe not overweight, but right-sided in terms of the amount of money they're spending on research, they're going to start being incentivized to look at how should this this asset class really be treated, right? Or this cost basis really be treated. And I think that's going to wind up being again more of the you know whether it's in the r&d or the machine or you know what i mean more in the capex side of the business i don't know i it seems like the investments in the last three to five years have been in house data people and i don't know if they're looking at 
So like a developer, so, for example, yeah. okay, is going to so fit, a right. developer is going to fit in, in, a, in a business, like my business, uh-huh. is going to fit in the, in, a cat, in the R&D, which is you right. know, underneath, not impacting my not, gross not market. Not impacting, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think a data scientist could fit in that same spot. It, right. I think a market researcher could fit Fits in the same, same spot. spot. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden you say, okay, you know, if data is an asset mm-hmm. that I can leverage over time, right, then now my ad hoc market research projects, to your point, if they start informing my data set, then maybe I can move it down into the asset part of the thing. And so my my thesis on this, yeah, which is, is weak, but <laughs> um, I really think it's the truth. I, I think that the accounting accurately reflects the realities of the business. I mean, Amazon, okay, so look at Amazon. Amazon wins because they know everything. Target wins because they know everything. Yes, right, right? exactly. I mean, there's just no That's question exactly about it. it. Is. Yeah. So, you know, is, is it the case that they have the best systems? Yes, and they've invested in those, but they also have all the data. Yeah. And the data is why it. they win. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to not put it in that. So Wall Street's going to see that I and start so. to reward that, so, continue to reward that. Well, that exactly. would be right. And continue in the to reward same that. way that, that they reward growth. So you can have right. a, like, again, going back to SurveyMonkey is a good example, whatever, $200 million business, um, with basic, which was basically break even when they IPO'd, but still got a good valuation. I think a, a company that's not employing research long term is going to be viewed in from Wall Street's lens is going to be viewed in the same way that a company stops growing. Right. So it's, it, it really turns into more of the cash cow sort of viewpoint, which I mean, like conversely. So we have Qualtrics, which is a four hundred million dollar company trading at eight billion dollars. You have Ipsos, which is a two billion dollar company trading at one billion dollars. How interesting. 20 X. Wow. Point five. Right. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. The Delta there. Right. Yeah. And the cash that is spinning off of Ipsos is huge. Yeah. So you've got. <laughs> You know, yeah. you've got this, but why? Because there's no, the Wall Street doesn't see the growth there. Yes. So anyway, I've been yes. talking That's too much fascinating. about this. No, but. I'm so happy to hear that because it has, it's, it is the big gap for me is this connecting back to leadership and under, having them understand we're an asset. And then it's how do you build frameworks and processes around that to build collaborations because it's a new model of working. I know some organizations are going to matrix um, type frameworks because they want to embed researchers within the teams and that way it kind of embeds that thinking. Great, great. But it also doesn't mean, I mean, you still have silos, you still have um, uh, some elements that break through because it is about the connectivity of all of yeah. it mm-hmm. and right. it technology can help us we need the humans right and so that's my exploration is is from this is from that sort of aspect so you know i'm just going to say i i'm i don't know a lot about all this okay so i'm just asking the questions and trying to find trying to find the fi- trying to find the right paths and like what might be next for our field because i love it uh, I love the people in it. I want them to all to su- succeed. And I think it's important for this to succeed. Totally. So, thank you. It's so thank important. You. So thank you for asking these really key questions. So thank Olive you. Tree Research. Tell me what in the Olive world Tree, you guys do exactly. Well, you know, the. <laughs> so I'm pivoting my business. So um, I've been into, I've been a consultant for some major brands for the last 12 years in the, mostly in the CPG space, almost always in hairy, big, hairy problems. I don't know why anybody doesn't hit ever asked me to do a brand tracker because I know how to do it. But it's kind of like, no, no. <laughs> think they the just say, think about that. But they, no, it's always hard problems. 
but the, my, my passion right now is to build the coaching side of the business. Oh. So we do workshops on things like how to build a team charter, all the way up to how to do scenario planning, mm -hmm. knowledge harvest. And then this, this third tier that I'm building is this, how do we bring technology into the design side? We've got a beta tool out there right now with two great clients and a big team's using the, the um, insights template, but how do we build a better collaborative tool? So I, I, you know, I encourage anyone that's got an interest in engaging better with the business to chat with me about what your challenges are so that uh, we can build tools for that um, specifically. So it's a combination of intel, like you're bringing some like brute force, Thinking, high level thinking, thinking uh -huh. and then also technology. That's where the that's where the future has to be. It's bringing these processes in so that they they are democratized. It's not all in little Carol's head. It's out there so everyone can access it. And 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 Jamin's head and you know all the wonderful people, Meryl Debro, all the wonderful people. You it's getting that out there so that the new generation of researchers and analysts collaboratively can um, elevate their their paths towards being more strategic and connecting to the business. So Carol, if someone wants to get in contact with you, how would they do that? Carol at olivetreeinsights.com is the easiest. Got it. Perfect. Yeah, and thank of course, you. we'll include that in the show notes. Thank Carol, you. thanks for being on thank the Happy you. Market Research Podcast. Thank you so much, Jamin. It, it was, was an absolute wonderful. honor. <laughs>